Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here today alone in the Crawl Space studios. But don't fret, Lance Reinsteerna joins us during this interview with Jordan Bonaparte of the Nighttime Podcast. And boy, does Jordan Bonaparte have quite a tale to tell in this episode. But before we get to that, I want to mention that I was in Chicago over the weekend at the True Crime Podcast Festival. And I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Lainey of True Crime Fan Club Podcast and Lisa for putting the festival on. I had a great time, and I think a lot of other people did, too. And I did a panel there with Patrick Hines of True Crime Obsessed, Sarah Turney of the Voices for Justice podcast, Otavia Zapala of the Missing Alyssa podcast, and Laura Norton of the Fall Line podcast. And the panel was in ethics and amateur investigations as podcast, and it really seemed like everyone enjoyed it. So I just want to say thank you for attending. If uh, I talked to you, met you at all, thank you very much. Uh, we hung out with a lot of people, and it was just a lot of fun, and there was too many people to mention, and thank you here in this intro, but uh, we'll probably get into it in a little more in-depth in a Patreon episode soon, so check that out at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. Just five bucks gets you access to a bit of content per week. And if you don't really like Patreon, but you want to support the show, check out our site, crawlspace-media.com. You can donate via PayPal, as our buddy Susan did just this week. She sent us $200. Shout out, Susan. Thank you so much, Susan. We really appreciate it. So be like Susan if you want to support the show financially. Check it out at crawlspace-media.com. Or you can check us out at stitcherpremium.com. Use code MMM for a free month. We do have the full Crawlspace archive on Stitcher Premium. We also have our Creator's Commentary series from Missing Maura Murray available on Stitcher Premium, which we got a lot of compliments about at the True Crime Podcast Festival. People are really loving that series. And I'll tell you, it's the most natural I've ever felt in front of a mic. So it is kind of an interesting feed in that way where you get the complete open and honesty from me and Lance. And right now there are 60 episodes live. That means we recorded ourselves over the first 60 episodes of Missing Maura Murray. Kind of like a director's commentary, but we're calling it creator's commentary. And we update information on the case and we mostly, you know, make fun of ourselves too. And you may have noticed that there are new shows and feed drops happening on the Crawl Space Media Network. We are growing. We are expanding. We have just launched a new show called Incel with our friend Nama Cates. She's an investigative journalist who has gone underground in the incel community. If you don't know what an incel is, it is short for involuntary celibate. And I know that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but there is an entire subculture of people who identify as incels online. And Nama Kates sort of infiltrated and spoke to some. And we're going to have a new show from Nama and Crawlspace Media called Incel. So subscribe now. Check it out. You may have noticed the feed drop this week. So please give it a listen and subscribe. Just want to let you know there will be more feed drops and more promotion, more new shows from Crawlspace Media coming this summer, like this show that we just launched under Crawlspace Media a week or so ago. It's called Criminal Perspective, and these guys, Chris and Andrew, speak with incarcerated killers about their crimes. The show is called Criminal Perspective, and that's exactly what it is. It's from the criminal's perspective, and you hear it in their words. Here's a clip from this week's episode of Criminal Perspective. They speak with killer Robert Bardo. Here's a clip. Obviously, I was sentenced to life without parole. First degree murder with Langlois, just circumstance. 
my crime occurred July 18th of 1989 in Los Angeles, uh, near West Hollywood. My victim was Rebecca Schaefer. I uh, want to say that she was an uh, innocent victim of my actions. And I uh, took the turmoil of my life. It's my responsibility for what had happened on that day. I just want to say that, uh, you know, I wish she was here and I wish I had never done what happened. And I must mention our live show coming up October 5th in New York City at the Bell House in Brooklyn with True Crime Obsessed, the comedy podcast that reviews documentaries. It is uh, a lot of fun to listen to them. They're some of the funniest people I've ever met, and we're going to have a blast uh, doing this show. It's about a 300-seat theater, so get your tickets. There are links in the show notes, but it will sell out, so get your tickets now. Okay, everyone, so for this episode, Jordan speaks about a series that he's working on about a guy known as Glove Guy. He picks up young men on the streets of Halifax late at night, offers them a ride home, and things get a little weird and creepy. So check out Jordan's show. You want to listen to these full episodes, I promise you, and follow him. There are links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. We are being joined now by Jordan Bonaparte of the Nighttime Podcast. Jordan, how are you today? Good. I think you should introduce me as a, a repeat offender on Crawl Space. <laughs> I think this is my on Crawl Space Media because this is my probably second or third appearance. Yeah, I was ju- I was going to say you are a uh, friend of the show, but I like repeat offender. And um, <laughs> yeah, we'll stick we'll stick with repeat offender. I was say you've been on at least four times when you count missing Maura Murray and Crawl Space. This is maybe your fifth. I think your fifth time total. So you're actually you're in the. You're in the free oh. crawlspace mug club you now. Get a, yeah, you get a mug <laughs> that we can mail Fantastic. to you. And it'll probably Fantastic. get lost yep. in, in transit. But yeah, It'll probably go to Mike Morford. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but to answer your question, I'm doing fantastic. It's beautiful weather here in Halifax. Springtime is just coming around the corner, and the grass is mowed, so I can't complain. <laughs> so That's nice. tell us a little bit about your corner of the world in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm going to amend that and say your weird corner of the world in a good way. Huh. It's a good thing. Yeah. It, it is a weird place, but Halifax is, people would refer to it as a university city. We have, uh, I, th- I think, four pretty major Canadian universities. So Halifax is a city that has a lot of nightclubs, a busy nightlife, a lot of young people. Every September, it's like hitting a the reset button on the city because all of a sudden you got all these young people from all the small communities in and around Atlantic Canada just kind of come to Nova Scotia or come to Halifax and get their first apartment. So it's a city where there's there's a lot happening, uh, active nightlife, and it's not so busy that and not so big that you can get in a lot of trouble, but it has enough of everything that you can kind of get pretty close to trouble. People have compared it to Boston in terms of its feel. And and I'd agree with that. When I spent time in Boston, I felt like I was in the American Halifax. Okay. Really? That sounds, yeah, that sounds like it's a, um, it's a familiar sound because Boston does have a lot of those universities and colleges and it does sort of reset itself around September. And as far as you refer to it as like a, kind of the weird corner of the world, Halifax also, well, the, it's more so the surrounding area of Halifax also has a lot of kind of famous mysteries. Like people listening to this likely have heard of the television show, The Curse of Oak Island, 
that I think airs on history in the States. Um, that is uh, not too far from Halifax. Canada's most famous UFO sighting happened about an hour and a half drive out of Halifax in a small fishing community called Shag Harbor. And we just have a lot of, I guess with we're a port city, so the history of Halifax is a lot of people coming, you know, new newly immigrating to the country, and you know, just there's just been people from all over the world here, and over its history, there's just been a tremendous amount of folklore tall tales and just interesting stuff from our history. It's a very cool place. Seems like a lot of that stuff for a town that is only about, correct me if I'm wrong, but about 400,000 people. Yeah, that sounds about right. And and there definitely is a lot of that. Halifax is a very old city with um, a lot of kind of ruins from, you know, the English French conflict where they were kind of fighting for this part of the world. So it's, it's, it's not a large city, but it's a very old city with a lot of history a lot of strange stories, ghost stories, folklore. It's it's the kind of place that if you're into that sort of thing, strange stories, it's it's the kind of place you want to be, that's for sure. Well, you have a remarkable example of one of these strange uh, tales, one of these uh, pieces of folklore that actually is a reality, and it was your latest mm-hmm. episode. Can you fill us in on what you're uh, working on now? You're talking about the story of Halifax's glove guy, which is is easily the strangest story I've covered on nighttime and probably one of the stranger stories I've even ever heard. When I first heard the story, I didn't think it was true. I thought it was was purely a t- uh, an urban legend. As the story goes, the the glove guy is a guy who for years has been driving around downtown Halifax, offering people rides home, which doesn't seem very interesting. But what happens is if you get in his car, he will offer you gloves, leather gloves, and aggressively uh, insist you try them on, uh, seemingly and evidently to, in his pursuit of a leather glove fetish, he appears to have based on the eyewitness accounts. So anyway, it's what has the way it started is people writing online saying, you know, the craziest thing happened to me last night. I got in a car with this guy and you know, he he was trying to get me to try on gloves and he was smelling the leather and offering me alcohol and you know all these sorts of things, but when I first heard it, I was kind of thinking, you know, somebody made up an interesting story and almost like Slenderman or something, and other people are kind of making their own version of it. Yeah. But uh, what I've learned is it's Glove Guy is very real, but he's also very prolific. It's one of those things where a friend of a friend of everybody I've ever met from Halifax has had a guy get in a, has had a friend who got in the car with Glove Guy. I want to back up real quick. You said that out of all the stories that you've covered on your your show this is by far the strangest how many just you know ballpark how many stories do you think you've covered uh i've probably done 80 to 100 80 to 100 stories 80 being the conservative number and this is the strangest one and you just fired off a bunch of uh facts and details and certain things about this glove guy I it's so when I was listening to your episode and and even hearing you now it's so hard for the regular person to wrap their head around what you just said Mm because it's so peculiar yeah yeah and I'm kind of living in that world because for the last three or four weeks I've just been reading people's stories about him online or talking to people who managed to or who got in the car with him so it, it seems normal to me but um 
it it certainly isn't. And to put it in context, I may have done 80 to 100 episodes, but I generally cover things like unexplained disappearances, UFO sightings, haunted houses. Like so I I cover weird stuff anyway. This yeah. is another <laughs> is on another level. Um and, and what makes it weird to me is how consistently and how consistent this guy has been dumping his leather glove fetish on unsuspecting people and how it's almost like the exact same story every time he has such a seems to have such a a pattern that he doesn't seem to deviate from much but it's right. it's all so bizarre so when was the first time you heard of glove guy i would say it was probably seven years ago uh somebody that i had worked with had just said uh, almost in passing the person uh the, he said something like you know we'll get we were going out drinking i think uh, or partying that night and he said something like if we if we run out of money we'll just get glove guy to give us a drive home and i said <laughs> what what is glove guy and he had told me the story and i just rolled my eyes being like you know that's that's not true <laughs> so how does the story how does the story he tells you go is he like, oh, yeah, the, the guy will offer you a ride and then forces you to put on gloves? Yeah, the way he told it is <laughs> is basically glove guy is a guy who travels around downtown in a car alone offering people rides home, men ride home, rides home. And so basically the way you summon the glove guy is you just stand somewhere on the side of the road and just almost like you're waiting for a cab and... If glove guy's around, he he will likely pull over, roll down his window, and say, "You want a ride?" And if you uh, if you agree to it, it's not going to be long before he's going to be popping open the glove box and showing you a collection of leather gloves that he makes himself. And and yeah, and things will then get very weird. <laughs> so he pulls them out of the glove box. Uh, in some cases, out of the glove box. In some cases, he has like kind of like a briefcase in the back seat that he pulls up front Mm -hmm. um in some cases he has one pair in others i've heard he opens the glove box and pairs of gloves just come pouring out as if they've just been you know jammed in there as many as he. that's my favorite of course they do they come shooting out (laughs) yeah well that's what's funny is that what some people say is like the only person in halifax who uses their glove box for the intended purpose is glove guy so i mean this guy has been known for years and years and years is he ever seen around the neighborhood in a normal setting? Are, you know, like, do people see him at his job and go, oh, you're the you're the glove guy? Well, not that I'm aware of. Everybody who I spoke with who knows of him knows him in the context of he's the glove guy. Apparently, he legitimately sold gloves at one point from, like, a roadside stand that I believe was, like, on the side of a highway. He had, like, a little, like, kind of the way, like, a farmer would sell, you know, corn or something on the side of the road or apples or something he had a little stand with uh, a bunch of pairs of leather gloves and he has different varieties he has some gloves that are he makes for you know winter some that are made for riding a motorcycle some that are more for you know hiking and things he has a a assortment of gloves that he makes and at one time sold through what appeared to be a reputable business it doesn't at this point look like the business is up and running uh, beyond strange encounters downtown late at night now he made these gloves yeah, himself how do, you, how do you make gloves 
Well, uh, my estimation is that if you're as into gloves as Glove Guy, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe you'll maybe you'll give it a shot. You figure but, it out. You know what's funny is uh, what the way I start up my episode is I put um, I put something on my Facebook basically saying you know if you've had an encounter with the Glove Guy, please email me cause, and cause I'm, you know I'd love to talk to you. I put that up in the next morning. Like I have never had as many emails about any one thing. I probably had a hundred emails from people who had something to say about Glove Guy. But one of the people who wrote to me said, I, I actually, I, I talked to him online and I went to his house to buy gloves from him and there was nothing weird about it. He sold me gloves. And then they said, uh, that was about 10 years ago and I still have them and they're the best gloves I've ever had. Oh, so, I don't doubt it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm assuming he's really good at it. So, <laughs> and, and I've heard th- similar things from a lot of people saying, you know, he's really creepy and strange, but his gloves are incredible. So does he have like a, is it a brand? Does it say like glove guy gloves? The business he ran was called love the gloves. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and but I don't know if that branding is on his gloves. I I have never seen a pair of his gloves. I'd really like to get them though. That's for sure. Like to get your hands on his gloves. Hey-o. Hey-o. And so Ouch. there were some promotional <laughs> videos that he did as uh, the company Love the Gloves, and uh, some comments under those uh, under those videos, which I find um, interesting because some of them are kind of funny, but um, also like. Like it's not a secret. Like this guy is was out there at one point selling his gloves, and he even gave his business card to at least one of the guys that you talked to in your first episode. Yeah, his people all over Halifax have his business card, and kind of it's kind of almost like a collector's item. People <laughs> like as humor, you'll be like, "Look what I got!" If if you pulled the glove guy's card out of your wallet in mixed company you would get a lot of laughs but you'd also get a couple people being like what the heck is that and you know wow. and you would then tell them the story but uh yeah it appears that when his business was running he did some promotional videos on youtube which when you kind of know his story i find them completely unsettling it's basically videos of him from his basically from his like uh, I guess you would say just like his torsos in front of the camera so you can see yeah. like from above his knees to kind of like his nose or something and he's just standing there trying on one pair of gloves after the other he'll try on the glove he squeezes his hand in stretch it out hold it up for the camera take it off and put another pair on yeah no complete music silence yeah complete yeah. silence that's yeah. the most like odd part about it unsettling is one way to to put it yeah and and he has i think three or four of those videos up on there but uh but yeah but it doesn't appear like it's it's a business that's active currently and you had a lot of people that reached out to you like you said more people reached out to you about this and anything else that you've done a story on you also have a lot of accounts that that you play and interviews that you play in in your first episode of glove guy i don't want to give anything away but can you walk us through um maybe one or two, like one of these accounts, two of these accounts, because I, I think, I think me personally, as a listener, it still is hard to wrap my head around what exactly this is. And is it, is it anything more than just a comical eccentric man, or is there actually something sinister going on here? Yeah. Well, there's, there's kind of layers to that, uh, but I'll, yeah. I'll go through it. So when, when I put out a call to my listeners to contact me if they've had encounters with the glove guy. As I said, my email account, my 
instant messages or whatever, my private messages, it just lit up with people saying, you know, either sharing their story or saying, you know, my best bud has a crazy story. Here's his phone number, call him. It, it was people from all over the world who were in Halifax at one point and had an encounter with him were writing to me. And then kind of people who listen to my show would see that post and they would know somebody who encountered glove guys. So they were kind of, people were like tagging their friends who had encounters. So people were just coming out of the woodwork to share their stories. And in the end, I probably had a hundred stories sent to me of glove guy encounters. And it's amazing that, yeah. And that's where we're kind of my work on the episode started. And now is when I had all these emails, I was like, you know, what's, what's next? I can't air a hundred interviews on, on this one topic. So I went through and kind of read them and, what was unique was, or what was interesting to me was almost every story was the exact same template, but there was just like kind of one little unique thing added to it. So it was like, they were all like the same story, but something made each one kind of special. So what I did was I took four stories that, and interviewed those people and featured them on my first episode. And, and I, I kind of broke up their stories in kind of sections, almost like chapters. So kind of, it starts with all four of them describing what their night was like before Glove Guy. All of them had the same story. They were downtown, were hammered drunk, leaving the bar at, you know, say two, three in the morning, were walking home or looking for a cab because in a, in a university city like Halifax, it can be hard to get a cab. So they were all kind of leaving bars. They were all alone looking for a ride home. And a car pulled up and offered them a ride. I'm just like picturing him like uh, at home at like eight o'clock and just nine waiting, o'clock, you know, oh. waiting for the right time. Like, what is he pacing and just like he can't he can't even uh, sit down until it's time to get in his car. He's and... like laying out his gloves and he's like matching them like left and right and sizes. And then at nine thirty rolls around and he starts packaging them up in a suitcase. Or maybe he actually goes to sleep and sets his alarm. And, you know, for two o'clock to get in a half a night of sleep and then go do his thing and then go back to sleep. I mean, I'm so confused, Jordan. <laughs> I don't know if we want to know what he's doing before he goes downtown to try to get men to try on his leather gloves. But I'll leave that to your imagination. But needless to say, he ends up downtown Halifax in what seems to be a different new car every time, which kind of leads me to theorize that he likely is renting cars because it's often people describing him in what appears to be like a brand new vehicle, but a different vehicle from like all the different accounts. But anyway, of, of the four people I featured on the episode, they all kind of had a question like, what are you like a taxi or an Uber or something? And it seems like he doesn't necessarily lie and say he's a taxi, but he certainly doesn't go out of the way to let them know he's just some guy offering drives. So of the four guests on my episode, I believe all four of them got in his car thinking he was a professional driver in some capacity, be it an off-duty cab driver or like some, you know, version of an Uber or something like that. What was pretty clever was one of the guys said that he told him that he just got off work and he could take him home, just not saying anything whether or not he was a cab driver or an Uber driver, but he it, it makes people think that this is a guy who just got off, like his shift is over as far as, uh, as driving a, a cab is concerned. So he just gives yeah. you the implication that he's a cab driver. Yeah, like maybe he took the light off the top or yeah. something, and he's but he can still get another fare, you know. And 
that would, you know, at the end of the night, you've been drinking, you're tired, you just want to go home. I could see falling for that and being like, all right, this is great. Um, but anyway, uh, from there, all four of the guys get in their car, get in his car. All of them get in the front passenger seat, which I don't do, even if it's a real cab with a light on top. Lance does it. And anyway, very quickly along the ride, he seems to say something to the effect of, do you like gloves or do you need gloves or do you want gloves? And he'll explain to them, you know, here's what I do. I drive people home, but I also am a glove salesman and, you know, I'll give you a ride home, but I want you to try on my gloves. And the four people on my episode all agreed and they're like, yeah, like the way they described it to me is they're thinking, you know, this guy is going to drive me home. All I got to do is try on his gloves, whatever. (laughs) And they, and he'll then, you know, pull out a briefcase or open the glove box or whatever. But in all four of the stories, and this is where where it kind of gets weird, he's driving, offers them the gloves, and the glove he passes them seems to always be way too small. Like, you know, like four sizes too small. Like a glove that was designed for a 12-year-old, he's giving to like an athletic, you know, 25-year-old or something. Um, When they question it, he seems to say, you know, that's the way it's supposed to fit. You just got to, you know, pull it on and work it in and stretch it out and you know, and struggle with it and get the glove on. And, you know, and then it very quickly turns extra creepy. There's one guy who says it was tighter than anything he's ever put on. <laughs> and yeah. and I will say that if I ever got into uh, an Uber or a Lyft and someone was, the driver says to me, I'm a glove salesman, would you mind trying on the gloves? No question in my mind, I'm trying on those gloves. Just for the, just for the the different like thing that happened to me that night. Just because it's something unusual, and what's the harm in trying on gloves? And honestly, after seeing the this video of him putting on the gloves, the gloves are really tight fits. They're clearly fitted gloves. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just just maybe I'm saying that the gloves that he was handing these guys could have fit if they if they worked it on right. But but I think what you're saying is that he actually gets something out of seeing these people struggle to to fit the glove on. Is that what I'm getting? Here's the turn yeah. for the sinister, I'm assuming. Yeah, and this is where where what makes him, I guess, infamous is that when they start working the glove on his he seems to kind of change his tone and his demeanor. He's not even looking at the road. He's staring at their hands and he begins to breathe heavy. And it, the, often people at this point realize like, whoa, this guy is not just trying to sell me gloves. He's, you know, he's getting something off it. And in some cases he's pulled over the car at this point to really, you know, coach them into, pulling on the wrist of the glove and stretching out their fingers and slapping it and working it on. Uh, it, it's, I feel bad laughing at it because I feel like these people are victims to unwanted um, sexual advances that relate to a leather fetish, but it's hard not to laugh at it because it's, it's just so absurd. Yeah. But, um, but it's very quickly, it becomes apparent that he's receiving some kind of sexual satisfaction from watching these guys try on gloves and what's interesting, and this doesn't really come across in my episode because it's audio only, of course, being a podcast, but a lot of the people that appeared and that I talked to, they had contacted me through Facebook. And when they write me a message on Facebook, you know, you can see like their profile picture and stuff. 
the four guys in my episode, if you put them in a room, you would think they were brothers. They were all <laughs> they were all like built like athletic guys. They were all tall, short, dark hair, and kind of dark complexion. So he's and got a type. That makes me. Yeah, I think Glove Guy has a type. Yeah. Okay. Man, so, okay, how did they get themselves out of this situation? Yeah, well, I, I just want to lay out that that's a pretty scary moment, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how many mm-hmm. people listening right now have been in a situation where they're in a car and they're not sure what the driver is going to do. And in your first episode, these guys sort of took you through their inner monologue of, shit, do I have to jump out of this car right now while it's moving? Or should I try to overpower this guy right now? Mm-hmm. But the fact that yeah, that just... went through all these guys' heads is is actually really frightening. I mean, it speaks to, um, I mean, he's not doing it intentionally, but this is almost a perfect type predator because, like you said, Jordan, the absurdity in the situation alone causes your guard to be down in the first place. And then you're thinking how, I mean, it's so absurd and, and you want to laugh at it. And I'm sure the guys who are putting the gloves on are, are trying to not laugh, but then it's like a nervous laugh. And then you see that he's getting some sexual arousal out of it. So, mm-hmm. so at what point does it stop being absurd and funny and, and that they consider it to be dangerous? Yeah. And it's, I've, I've heard from, I, of course I, I have a hard time talking about, this because I'm I've never been there and I'm not an expert on it, but I've heard um, from several women who listen to my show who said it's it's unique that it's ha- that it's a man doing it to a man, but they also said like any woman who's ever been at a bar or at a party knows how these guys feel because a guy may come up to you and kind of you know put his arm in such a way that you're you know up against the wall so you're kind of like locked in a little area and you kind of have to be there and talk to someone who's being really creepy uh so i think a lot of women can probably have probably been in situations that they can relate with the guys that are in this car i'm sure but yeah but but i think a lot of men haven't been in this situation and i don't i don't recall in my life ever being in a position where i would where i felt anything like how these guys likely have felt but yeah all of them, like you described him, kind of discuss their inner monologue thinking, do I jump out of the car? Do I elbow this guy in the face and grab the wheel? But at the same time, they're all thinking, I'm just going to go with it. And he's this guy's going to get me home and I'm just going to make sure I don't show him where I live is kind of the what people seem to be thinking. But yeah. it, in the stories I featured, at no point did he kind of cross the line to make someone react violently but he crossed the line to the point to make everyone start thinking about an exit strategy uh only in in one of the stories was it more concerning he had the doors were locked in the car in this one story but it was the type of door where when it locks there's like kind of like a little pin thing that you know you would like push it down like near the window to lock the door but there was no way to like pull it up. I don't, it's hard to explain that, but it's it was almost like a childproof type lock where there was a guy in the passenger seat being like, you know, I'm locked in this car and there's nothing I could do to get out. So I got to go along with this and try on this guy's gloves. It's wild. It's absurd. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. some of the comments here on these on this video are uh, are very funny um, or at least uh, interesting. Here's one that says, I've never been so close to a future serial killer in my life. 
I don't know if that person knows the story of Glove Guy or if they're just responding to the video. Uh, but then there's another one from just a few months ago that says, I wonder how many young men saw this same vision of him putting on gloves and showing them just before breathing their last breath. And oh. it, it's sort of like uh, it, it's definitely a scary situation because, I mean, I wonder, I mean, it, it's possible. I mean, this guy's abducted these people, essentially. He could, you know, he could try to hurt someone and get away with it and maybe have some luck in doing so. Yeah, I'm thinking like uh, not putting myself in the car, but thinking of like a child or something. If my child got into his car under misleading or false pretenses that he was a cab or a taxi, I would consider that an abduction. And I would be pretty, I, of course, with a kid, I'd be freaking out. But even as an adult, like I, what he's doing, if, if the stories are all true, I think it's, it's definitely wrong. Yeah. And as it stands and the way you're covering it, it's kind of like a lighter version of a me of like a classic me too story. But obviously the the pieces are a little jumbled and it's not it's definitely not a typical one. Yeah, and and people have kind of not criticized it, but people have commented on the fact that a lot of the guys in the episode are kind of telling the story in like a light kind of joking manner and laughing about points, but I think that's just the way these people are handling it because every right. one of them a, had yeah. described to me that this was really uncomfortable and it was a situation they never thought they'd be in. And have never been in, you know, before or since. Uh, And I think they're just kind of, they're lightening it up to maybe make it feel, maybe make it easier to talk about or something. Yeah, and easier to process. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's a very bizarre thing that's happened and you need a way to process it. And it's a defense mechanism to to go to the humor end of it. Totally natural to laugh a little bit about it. Yeah, that comment that you read about... uh, a future serial killer, Jordan. Do you think that this is a uh, an indication of perhaps escalation of violence? Well, I don't. I don't think I've seen an an escalation in it. It seems like his pattern is so defined. It's like the same thing every time. But it seems like it's almost like obsessive. Like he's he's the amount. If half of the people who wrote to me are telling the truth. He's done it so many times in almost the exact same way. There's only been a few times that I think he went further and crossed an even heavier line, I guess you would say. But I don't know. I don't know if there's... I would like to hear an expert talk about if if these could be signs of something, you know, even more troubling. But I wouldn't... The way I see it, and, and kind of what scares me, is Halifax... Again, a university city. Every September, there's a ton of people who move here from their small towns or from other countries or whatnot to pursue, you know, education. I'm just thinking of some person who comes to Halifax from another country who's not used to our culture, maybe goes downtown on their, you know, frosh week and gets completely obliterated drunk, end up walking home, not sure how to get a cab. This guy pulls over and they think he's a cab and they get in and pass out in his passenger seat. Uh, when I think of that situation I and use my imagination about what could happen next, that's what scares me. And it's I would be surprised if it hasn't happened to somebody, that situation. And maybe they just didn't contact me to share their story. Yeah, exactly. Because if he's done it that we know of hundreds of times, 
and he's putting himself in the position to pick up uh, inebriated young men, you'd have to imagine that one of his marks would end up passing out at least briefly, you know, during a car ride back home. Yeah, and it's obvious that it it can go further because when, when we're talking now, you haven't heard it, but in two days, I'm going to be releasing the second part of the series that uh, the episode is going to be called The Dark Side of the Glove. And this is going to feature information I learned since the release of the first episode. And it's going to show that there, that he actually went a lot further than than I or any of the four guys in my first episode thought he had. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. And, but before we get to that, we should probably talk about um, the voicemail. Yeah, <laughs> so anyone please. who's listened to the first episode, that was kind of... I, I ended that episode by kind of showing what I suspected to be kind of a red flag that things could get uglier than a really awkward situation of trying to try on a glove in his car while he breathes heavy. So do you want me to just kind of talk through the voicemail? Please, and yeah. Just get into that. Yeah, so one of the guys that appeared on my first episode, when he wrote me, he was very reluctant to share his story. He he had wrote and said, I think it was an email, and he said, you know, I had a glove guy encounter that's, you know, it's it's hard for me to talk about. I'm really embarrassed. It's really upsetting. But I think you're probably going to want to hear it. Uh, and he's like, I'll talk to you, but I just want to make sure, you know, my name's not associated with this, and I want you to disguise my voice. And he had all these things he wanted to ensure that it was anonymous. And I was thinking, like, you know, whatever this guy has is going to be interesting, so I'm going to do whatever he wants. So I, I assured him everything would be completely private. So anyway, when you listen to the episode, you'll hear that one of the guests, I, I did manipulate his voice so you can't figure out his identity or, or the way he sounds. But anyway, the way his story goes is it started just like everybody else, walking home, bombed, got in a car with who he thought was an Uber the guy started trying to get him to dry to try on gloves, but it got a kind of a step darker. What what happened was the glove guy then offered him alcohol. He offered actually offered him a, it was like a liter bottle of Coke pop. Uh, the guest on my episode opened the bottle and smelt it uh, before he took a drink, and it was the the guest had described it as smelling like there was more alcohol in there than pop. He passed it back to the glove guy and said like, "No man, I I don't want that." And the glove guy took like a really big drink of it and laid on the gas and accelerated. So the guy now in the passenger seat is like, whoa, like I'm in a car with somebody who's being really weird about gloves. He's drinking and he's flying down my street at, you know, four in the morning. At this point, he realizes the doors are locked and he can't easily get out. So he starts planning his escape. What he had did was... Uh, he wrote a text message, I think, to a friend saying, you know, like, call me and say that there is an emergency and, you know, you need me there because it's going to be my ticket out of this car. That was kind of his plan to get out. But anyway, when he eventually gets out of the car, glove guy says, all right, I'm going to let you out, but I want your phone number. So the guest on the episode starts thinking, um, I'm just going to give him a fake number and, you know, I'm free. But then glove guy, as soon as he thinks that glove guy says, and I'm going to call it to make sure it's the right number. So he thinks like, oh shit, like I got to give him my real number, but I'm just going to block it as soon as I get out. So he gives Glove Guy his real number, real phone number. Glove Guy calls it, makes sure it's him, unlocks the doors, and the guy gets out of his car, blocks Glove Guy's number and thinks, you know, I'm never going to hear from this guy again. What a bizarre night. 
Anyway, as it turns out for the next, I think what the way he told me is pretty much every weekend at about four or five in the morning, he was getting calls from unknown name and unknown number, something that has never happened to him before this glove guy encounter. He never answers them because he's pretty confident it's a, a very creepy glove salesman. However, after I think he said about six or seven weeks of this, he got a voicemail. So he woke up in the morning. He saw there was an unknown name, unknown number call at, I think it was five in the morning. A voicemail is left. And he played it and heard some of the most, I shouldn't say some of, he heard the most disturbing voicemail I've ever heard. Um, basically, to censor it, the voice, which he believes to be Glove Guy, is expressing his desire to perform oral sex on him. And he says it in a variety of ways, using a lot of F-words, and then just hangs up. So the voicemail is like a minute of, you know, use your imagination with the most disturbing way to explain that to somebody. I don't have so, to. Lance leaves me that voicemail every weekend. I know. I'm wondering what's <laughs> different from Tuesday night. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry to make so, light of it. Yeah, yeah no, but I uh, just feel like we had to make light just to yeah. get out of that. See, you're just trying to make it comfortable. Yeah, right? So you've heard the voicemail yourself. Yeah, well, I, I aired it on the episode in a censored way. I air, I beeped out all the F-words. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have the unedited thing. First saved message. I want to fuck your It's just really disgusting and disturbing. Has he seen any indication or any sign of Glove Guy driving past? Because um, I, I, I assume he didn't get out of, at the location of his home, but it must have been no. close to his home, right? Yeah, well, he, um, Glove Guy knew the street he lived on, and he was really uneasy about that. Yeah. So there's 30 homes on the street, 40 homes. He didn't like this guy knowing what street he lived on. And he had considered going to the police, he he explained. And the only reason he didn't is because he was in the process of moving. He was moving to another city within a month or two of this encounter with Glove Guy. So I think what he thought was, I don't want to get myself involved with the police. I'm just going to, you know, wait it out and look over my shoulder and move and be done with uh, an aggressive glove salesman. Man, isn't that just the... the thing that just keeps happening is it's just not convenient for me to go to the cops right now it's surprising how many people get away with shit nowadays Mm -hmm. or just in general because it's just you know i'm moving it's an inconvenience it's kind of disturbing i don't think people really realize the damage that these things do to them until after the fact after they after they've moved and they they think about it and you know maybe they should have gone to the cops but at the time it just wasn't convenient to do that that as well as it's embarrassing and uncomfortable to to explain something like this and and maybe have to appear in court and what evidence do you have that you did it so it these stories although light and a bit funny you have to think of all the women who actually suffer sexual assaults and they are left with the same kind of decision to make and, and, you know, the same uphill battle to prove their case or prove their story. So it's, uh, this is the way I see it. It's almost like a light semi humorous version of this societal tragedy that's, that's happening 
right now with you know with sexual violence and sexual assault so yeah yeah because Mm -hmm. there was a whole generation of men who would show their genitals to a woman and laugh and think that that was a joke and then the woman has this you know residual effect and they don't say anything and like you said it's because it's it's awkward and it's embarrassing and it's going to raise issues that they don't want to deal with so the position of power is so uh heavy it's it's got so much gravity yeah and what will come out so i I had hinted to the fact that uh, there's a second episode coming out when when i finished my first episode i kind of ended it with as far as i know glove guy has never had any run-ins with the police and nothing kind of bad has come of this behavior that he has what i've learned since the first episode i've actually been i've heard from my local police who let me know that there actually was charges related to this activity of picking up people. Uh, my second episode in this series is going to outline charges uh, for committing an indecent act that he faced in 2016. And my guest in the episode is going to be the the victim of that indecent act who, unlike the people in the first episode, um, many more lines were crossed in such that they felt the need to go to the police uh, they did so not realizing that the glove guy was kind of like a well-known person who continues to do this. They thought they went to the police thinking there was two victims, him and a friend of a friend. Basically, he had a really unpleasant and disturbing and illegal encounter with glove guy. Um, the next day that he told somebody what happened and they're like, that's so weird. Something like that happened to a friend of a friend. And the, the victim then said like, Whoa, if he's done it to two people, I got to stop it. And they contacted the police and actually faced him in court. Something I didn't know when I made the first episode. So part two is really going to push the story along. Jeez. Have you thought about, uh, standing outside of these bars at night and just, uh, waiting and, Perhaps maybe he'll come by and you can actually get into his car. Absolutely not. <laughs> I do would not want to be in this situation. I think what I thought about doing was um, requesting the police uh, issue a public safety warning in Halifax, you know, to let people know that it's not safe to hop in a car late at night because we have this kind of thing happening. And Halifax is a city that doesn't have Uber or Lyft or any of those type services. So if every September all these new people move to Halifax for universities, they may not know that. Yeah. And an Uber doesn't look like the typical cab with the, you know, the yellow light or whatever on the top, the, you know, the thing on the roof of the car. So I think um, it could be wise for the police to let people know that this kind of thing's happening. Because if, if he ever does cross a line, people are going to look back at the story and be like, how the heck did nobody do anything about this? Yeah. How do we not see that coming? Yeah. How are we yeah, making e- Exactly. Some, it would just be embarrassing. It's just, mm-hmm. I think you nailed it earlier on and we keep mentioning it. It's the absurdity of the whole situation. I, I can assume that a police officer who would put out a public service announcement would think to themselves at some point, how the hell am I going to explain the danger in a man who's making you try on gloves? 
You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure they're laughing about it behind the scenes. You know, right? I mean, but, they, but it has to be some blanket um, statement that's like, "Listen, don't get into a car that you think might be a, a ride hail service. We don't have that in the city." There does have to be some safety awareness for it, and uh, I think you raise a really good point, Jordan, about Uber or Lyft not even being in that city. And uh, as we've seen over the past year, uh, several years, really, that that is an issue of uh, people getting into a car that they think is a ride service. Um, company or, or per being driven by that person and it's not and they've uh, ended up in, in situations like these fellows or worse in some cases they've ended up dead so mm-hmm. absolutely it's a very and serious problem yeah and it's like when the red flags are there the, somebody needs to, to do something I guess the best I can do is just tell everybody about it and that's kind of what I'm doing with the episodes what I'm trying to do is take a story that a lot of people write about online and kind of share you know, uh, often exaggerated or inaccurate versions of. I'm just trying to get go right to the right to the source, the people who got in the car with them, and just clean it up and put it out there in such a way that you know people will listen to it and realize what they're getting into if they get in this guy's car. Well, well done. Uh, we're we're listening with bated breath. Uh, can't can't wait for the second episode. And you have done an amazing job once again, turning over another rock in Halifax and. And bringing forward an incredible folktale that is in actuality, and yeah, the the next episode is going to be super interesting stranger and stranger than fiction. Stranger than fiction, yeah. This world. Well, it's it's true, and I think one thing I try to do on the show is just find these unique, bizarre little stories and dig in because it's like no matter where you live or where you're from, you have these little stories in your hometown that people talk about. But very few people ever kind of dig into them and, you know, get on the phone and call the people affected by them. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think you guys do the same kind of thing with with your show. Like just as an example that you told me the story of like the molasses flood in, in Boston. Like that's one of those stories that the average person, like I'm sure there's a ton of people who live in Boston who've never heard that story, but it just takes someone to just kind of you know, uncover it from its past and tell the story. And all of a sudden the city you live in feels a bit more alive with mystery. So oh, you got sure. uh, and same thing with the, with the Gardner museum heist. It's just, it, I wouldn't be interested in the Gardner museum, but now that I know that story, if I, if I go there, I'm going to want to visit and see the empty frame. Uh, well, well, tell we, them, tell them the crawl space guys sent you. Yeah. We, we love do. every, any episode that uh, concludes with uh, us being complimented, showered in compliments, uh, we appreciate it, Jordan Bonaparte of the Nighttime Podcast. Everyone listening now, check out his show, especially the series on Glove Guy, but don't stop there. You've got some incredible work on some of the other topics uh, and subjects you've covered in the past. So thanks again, Jordan, for hanging out with us. And your glove, I mean, your mug is in the mail. 